Good Monday morning. Today is November 7th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for starting your week with us on AM 850 in St. Louis, online at kfbo.org, or as a podcast. Be sure to spread the word about our program to anyone you know who would benefit from a daily dose of God's word. Also, be sure to show some love to our sponsor, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. They translate and publish biblical and catechetical material for people all over the world. Learn more about their great work at lhfmissions.org. I also love hearing from you, and I answer every email I receive. So send me your questions or comments to pastorboo at gmail.com. That's P-A-S-T-O-R-B-O-O-E at gmail.com. Every Friday, I feature one of your letters or questions at the top of the show. Well, in this episode, we have finally found ourselves at the end of the scroll with James chapter 5. 20 verses today. The Apostle James's hearers were being persecuted by the rich and the powerful, but the rich and powerful have done that throughout history. So James urges them to be patient. God the judge is coming soon. He's at the door. He then commands them to remain faithful and to support one another in times of suffering, and he gives us some clear examples of what that looks like. Well, with me to this morning to help us take to heart James's teaching here in this final chapter is the Reverend David Bass. He's pastor of Hosanna Lutheran Church in Kerrville, Texas. Pastor Bass, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you so much. It's uh, it's wonderful to uh, to be here and be part of the conversation. Oh, I'm excited to have you here. You are down in Texas. I'm up in Minnesota. Even though we're just here the end of the first week of November, I suspect that our our weather is significantly different than one another's. Uh, we're up here; it's it's you know twenty degrees. What's it like down there in Texas? Yeah, so typically this time of year in in Texas, uh, we start our mornings. It's probably oh in the chilly, chilly mid forties, uh, and then we warm up to a, a balmy mid seventies by. Uh, mid to late afternoon, most of our leaves are still on trees, and and so for what it's worth, um, you know, it's it's still fairly pleasant, all things considered, being uh, the beginning of November. So, oh wow, yeah, nope, that is not our experience up here. <laughs> but you know, you guys get that brutally hot summer. At least that's what I understand. So we do it uh, th- this summer. We we were I, I was all thinking about really doing an entire summer sermon series on on hell and why we should not. <laughs> Uh, we don't want to be there because it was probably 100 degrees all summer long. But. Just have the class outside and you'd have a great <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Sermon point right there. That's right. <laughs> well, brother, uh, I tell you what, you know, this is your first time on Thy Strong Word, and we're happy to have you. Um, as I like to do, whenever I have someone new on, I invite them to share a little bit about what God is doing through their ministry and their congregation in uh, in their context. So would you mind sharing with us a little bit about what church life is like down in Kerrville? Yeah, so, so Hosanna is uh, we're we're a beautiful congregation of about three hundred and fifty souls. Uh, literally, have uh, come from all parts of the country. Uh, people who have uh, you know labored all their life, and I call them mostly active retirees and, and a good number of families uh, that have called uh, the hill country here uh, home. And, and so uh, we uh, uh, we gather around God's word and around His sacraments, and then not just gather around that, but then put that into action through. Uh, uh, serving our community through Hill Country Daily Bread Ministries. We've got Bread of Life. Uh, we're serving about 15 families in our community with boxes of food every other week. Um, we remain active. Uh, I'm always encouraging uh, the congregation, though you might be retired from your vocation, you know, what it is that you, how you provided for your family. But in, in the Lord's kingdom, there's still great need, great need in our community. And, and no matter, no matter where you look, we, we don't have to look too far. Uh, there's always plenty of opportunities here. And so, uh, we've really, uh, we're really active, uh, I believe as, as a congregation in, in, not just as, as again, James says uh, himself, uh, that we're not just hearers of that word, but uh, seek to be doers of that same word um, right here in uh, in the hill country of Texas. And it's always wonderful to hear just how God is working through folks like you. And you're right, you know, James is such a misunderstood letter, as we have talked about over these this past week. 
And, and I think it's misunderstood because it has this heavy emphasis on living out your faith in works. And as Lutherans with a heritage of resisting the concept that one must work their way into heaven, we've sometimes tossed out the baby with the bathwater, right? Well, if I cannot work my way into heaven, then good works must be bad. And that's certainly not true. And I don't think as we look out into our congregations that people are really breaking their necks to work their way into heaven anymore. We've, we fully understand now at this point that we can't work our way into heaven, but we've lost that understanding in some respects that good works are still required. So when we look at our congregations and congregations like yours, and we see them out there serving their neighbor, then absolutely we're doing just as James is commanding here. And that's the key to go out and, you know, demonstrate our faith through love. And so it's great to hear that you're doing that. Um, Before we uh, get into our text uh, Mm -hmm. properly, would you please start us off with prayer? Yes, absolutely. Let us pray. Heavenly father, we, we thank you for the many manifold gifts and blessings that you give to us. You, you sent your son, Jesus, uh, not just merely to, to set an example for us to try to follow, uh, but to give to us complete righteousness in, in which we now live. Lord, we thank you for, for servants such as James, who uh, leaves us this epistle, this living word uh, by which we can still read, mark, learn, inwardly digest, but then outwardly uh, live out. And so to that end, we ask your blessing upon this broadcast and this conversation on James chapter five, that it would be uh, edifying uh, not only to us as the pastors who are discussing it, but edifying to the hearers of this broadcast as well. We ask all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So our text for today is divided roughly into three sections. The ESV labels each section warning to the rich the second, patience in suffering, and the third, the prayer of faith. I'm going to read just the first section for to, to get our conversation started. So I'll be reading chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters that have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Now, that's the end of this first part of the text. Uh, The the thought continues in our next part with uh, James addressing those who are being persecuted. Yeah, this first part, he's, you know, it it makes you want to make sure that you, (laughs) in our day and age, make sure you pay the guy who's mowing the lawn, right? Yeah. Uh, But something a little bit more serious is going on here. What, What is going on, brother? Well, what we see here, uh, as, as you mentioned at the opening of the, uh, the, the broadcast, is James is writing uh, to the church, and he's writing to, to these Christians who are under the thumb of, of these, uh, these non-believers who, who have had it really good in life and, and have surrounded themselves with all of these earthly riches, riches, though, that, that they think are going to last them forever, but ultimately uh, will not. And so uh, James, is, it, it, it's almost... You could say it's an appeal. Uh, come now, come now, you you rich, weep and howl. But the invitation is there. Uh, understand, uh, God does not want you to think that all of these riches are what's going to give you that comfortable, happy, eternal life. Our dependence is on the Lord, on God Himself. We can't live truly live uh, apart from Him. Um, and yet when we look at Jesus' life, uh, he, he, he does rub elbows. He, he bumps into, you know, a few rich people during his ministry. We, you know, we have Zacchaeus and we have Joseph of Arimathea. We, we've got Barnabas. Um, but again, none of those individuals ultimately allow these earthly riches to get in their way of the kingdom of heaven, of eternal life. 
Um, and so what James is speaking here uh, is to say, uh, look, it's not wrong to have wealth. It's absolutely wrong to uh, have wealth and abuse it or to certainly think that it is the end all be all. Yeah, the Bible does many times address the issues of misuse of wealth. Yes. You know, Jesus in Luke chapter six, he says, woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. But if we read that in the greater context, as you point out, this isn't a prohibition about being wealthy. I mean, people are wealthy for a variety of reasons. Um, when anybody recognizes that their wealth comes from God and uses it according to his will, then that wealth then becomes a blessing to others. And yes. we certainly, certainly can't sit here in the United States from our positions and and look back on the wealthy of this time because there's a good chance that the wealthiest of the people in this time, you know, aren't even close to as wealthy as your average American is. Right, right. So and, wealth and, is also relative. It, yes, I, I would say absolutely. And and again, the the overarching message here that that James brings to believers is to say, if if you have that wealth, even as a Christian, especially as a Christian, if, if you have that, then understand who the giver is and understand uh, what you are called to do uh, with that wealth. Um, because we uh, we see the, the response, you know, uh, weep and howl for the miseries that, that are coming upon you. This is this is going to head your way. It is heading your way uh, if you continue making that the center of your life. The second verse is really what sets it apart as misuse of the wealth, yes, right? Because yeah. you don't get rotten garments and moth-eaten garments and corroded, um, not that gold and silver, you know, corrodes, but you know, corroded gold and silver. You know, it's just it's just sitting there being useless if you aren't storing it up for yourself, right? If you're using it as it's designed to be used, then these things aren't happening. So he's definitely talking about a particular use of that. Of that right. Yeah, the, the way when I look at uh, at verse two uh, here in James chapter five, uh, your riches have rotted. That that could be uh, storehouses of food. Let me let me build bigger barns. Let me, you know, if you can't eat it all manna, you know, manna was provided every single day that the Israelites were not told to, you know, to uh, other than the, the weekend, you know, for the Sabbath. Um, but if there's so much that you can't even use it, that it's simply rotting on you or, or your garments that you don't even have an opportunity to wear them, uh, that the moths start eating it up. And, and then ultimately all your other accoutrements, um, it, he says, ultimately, uh, it speaks of the evidence against you. And, and then it moves into a whole different level of saying, even your body, even your flesh, like ultimately you yourself will come apart. And, and be eaten up. It's it's um, it's a wow. Open your eyes, text to say, man, am I living for the Lord? Am I am I using my gifts, talents, abilities, all the the blessings that God has given me uh, to share with others uh, within certainly the the kingdom, the household of God, and 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 also as a witness to unbelievers, or am I uh, living for myself? We've called James the Proverbs of the New Testament because of the disjointed way in which he gives this instruction. But so often Jesus is being shown here, either Jesus in terms of pointing to Christ and what he's done as our example, which of course certainly isn't the only thing Jesus does, but or quoting Jesus in some way. And we have here, you know, you've laid up treasure in the last days, that yeah. laying up treasures on earth, that's Jesus' language. Right, right. And, and, and that's James's point, no doubt, is where your treasure is, there is your heart also, right? But where should we be heaping up treasure? In heaven. You know, that, that's where that's where we should be heaping up treasures is not earthly treasure, because surely, as sure as is possible, the, the end of days is coming. The Lord is returning. Now, I think in this text that James is primarily speaking to outsiders rather than rich Christians. He doesn't seem to call them brothers or he doesn't call them right. to repentance. So I, I do believe that there is a, a target for this. However, if we were preaching this, or I should say if I were preaching this, mm -hmm. I would want to make sure that we identified our own sin in these matters. Uh, like how, in what ways are we, we, it's easy for us to preach a sermon where the message is, we would call this 
uh, Christus Victor, right? So Christ mm-hmm. is a victorious over sin, death, and Satan, the, the yes. enemies of you. So I could get in here and say, yes. just as James, I believe, is doing, those people who are out there persecuting you, brothers and sisters, Christ is victorious over mm-hmm. them, right? That's the sermon. Mm-hmm. But we could flip it to what we call a Christus Vicar sermon, right? How does he stand in our place to forgive our sins? And are in what ways are we the rich people? In what ways are we the ones laying up treasure, earthly mammon in these yes. last days? Yes. So how are we how are we kind of doing the sins of keeping back by fraud against those or or living on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence? Um, Pastor, how would you maybe preach this to your people if the focus was our sins. Well, for, we look at it, and, and it is it is the final chapter uh, that that uh, that James has in his uh, in his letter in his writing, and so uh, obviously you know the Holy Spirit moved in his heart to to write this to Christians with the context to say God sees you know the outsiders, unbelievers doing this to to believers, uh, but. But lest you think that, you know, if you're a Christian and, and you're wealthy and you're doing these things, that this doesn't apply to you, uh, it, it does apply to you. Why? Uh, because the cries of the harvesters, as we move forward a little bit, have e- reached the ears of the Lord of hosts, the Lord God, who, who is the God of angel armies. He is the one who, who sees all and hears all and knows all. And, and so, Yes, Christian, this has been included in this letter uh, for us to also ponder and to consider and to search our hearts to say, are we living this way? Are we acting this way towards others, uh, towards my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Um, and so, I th- yeah, I think the the way that I would uh, preach that is certainly give the, the the proper context. You know, this is who James is talking to, uh, but lest we think it's just for them, uh, how do we see ourselves uh, possibly uh, maybe acting this way towards others or treating others uh, this way? Because, well, we, this is ours and we've worked hard for it. And we, we earn it and we deserve it. This, this American idea of I'm the one who did all this for me. And so I, I need to retain as much of that as I possibly can, as opposed to sharing it in Christian generosity with others. And back to the context of the day then, you know, I do believe, though, this would be uh, – that's how I would do it, too, in terms of a Christus vicar. Mm-hmm. But back to James's, you know, context of the day, it would yeah. be probably more Christus victor uh, as opposed to vicar because yes. um, he is appealing to these people. And so when he says something like the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears yeah. of the Lord, he's appealing to the Christians. Appeal yes. to the Lord. Your yes. cries are yes. heard. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And and, and we, we we see that as uh, as as we'll move eventually forward in in, in the, the next verses coming up. Um, but yeah, I, I think James wants uh, wants the hearers of his day, wants uh, Christians of our day to say, look, whatever injustices uh, you believe you are suffering, especially at the hands of unbelievers, maybe a you know an atheist boss who, who's just not wanting to give you the you know Christmas day off. It says, hey, you, you have to work. The Lord sees that. The Lord absolutely sees that he is the Lord of hosts. And that's that's why, you know, I believe the Holy Spirit moved in James to to use this uh this this language in describing who it is that ultimately sees and watches and and hears what's going on. It is the God of angel armies and and he who is the supreme ruler of the entire universe of all things seen and unseen, he will uh, make it right. His justice is surely coming. Anything else you want to make sure that people know before we read the next section? Well, I I, I look at the you know at, at verses five and six I, I, again. It's it uh, it circles back to to verse one of the uh, weep and howl. You know, you've lived in luxury, you've self indulgence. Uh, you've you've fattened your hearts. It, it's like fattening up a you know, the turkey. You know, for Thanksgiving for for that day of slaughter. You 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 know you think you're living well. You're living well, um, but there's a day surely coming. And, and so again, for for any believer. Uh, who is listening to this, who is maybe struggling under the weight of uh, being oppressed uh, in some way, shape or form, wages being garnished, you know, unrighteously. Um, yes, do what you need to do, proper channels of, of communication and, and all those things. But ultimately know that the Lord sees your plight uh, and the Lord will always provide for you 
and he will make a way. His justice is coming. In verse 6, I just looked at it again, and, and they say, you've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. And we we think about the disparity between the poor and the, those who employed them. You know, they would work, and if the employer wanted to keep their wages from them, they didn't have a lot of credibility in court. You know, the, the rich yeah. person was probably friends with the judge. So uh, yes, yes. Not a lot of recourse. And because, right. The, right. because the rich person is friends with the judge, there was a lot of times where the poor people were being taken to court and being declared guilty, and they're either being condemned to death uh, right. in terms of murdering the righteous person, or they're just being murdered because by withholding the, the payment for their wages, they're, they're starving to death. Yes, yes. And, and, and again, uh, James reminds us, uh, this is happening. Uh, we know it's happening. Christian, uh, be comforted, uh, you know, other brothers and sisters in Christ, you know, they see it as well. Uh, and, and maybe if we can't act, uh, you know, or, or come as witnesses to, you know, to your defense, uh, again, the Lord himself, he sees it, he knows it, and, and he will, he will have an answer for that injustice. And so. I'm not certain that James is specifically intending this, but I don't know. Do you see what I see in those verses too? You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Yeah. I think of Jesus yeah. Christ. Yeah. Absolutely. He did not open his mouth, you know, to those who are accusing. It, it, yeah, I, I could easily, easily see. I, I don't think that would be a, a misrepresentation of, uh, of the text and certainly for the Christian who, who is in Christ, um, you know, living that, seeking to live that, that faithful, righteous life in Christ. Uh, ultimately then what James is saying is, is not only are you condemning that actual person, uh, but you're also doing that injustice against Christ himself, which is not good. Right. Whatever you do for the least of these yes. done or not done for me. Yeah, that'll yes. preach, as we like to say. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Let me read the next a few verses. This is going to be verses 7 through 12, so we can get started on them before the mm -hmm. break. Okay. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth, or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. All right, we have a handful of minutes before the break. I think we can definitely get started, though. So they're, ask, they're asked or commanded or encouraged to be patient until the coming of the Lord. But that's in light of this persecution, right? Yes, I, I would I would certainly uh, understand that being being the context, um, and, and even for us, you know, as as we're living this life, which again we, <laughs> as uh, as Americans, uh, patience isn't always you know our our best virtue. It it becomes a vice for us. And and James, you know, again as we move through that text, uh, he just says, "Calm down, you know, time out, uh, be be patient." Um, and then he brings in this, this, this beautiful agricultural language. I, uh, in, in Texas here, uh, in, in the hill country, there's, there's a lot of ranchers, you know, and, mm. and um, a lot of cattle and, and goats and, and things of that nature. So not, not pretty, you know, corn and soybean and, and things of that nature. Um, but, uh, you know, the farmer, the rancher right now, we're, we're in a drought We're we're waiting patiently for the Lord to provide, uh, the rain. And, and we're, we're waiting as James encourages us to, uh, you know, to do so it, uh, it's God's timing. And, and sometimes we don't like God's timing, but we must trust, uh, God's timing. Uh, and sometimes, uh, he has us be patient uh, so that he works on our impatience. <laughs> well, you know, the, the churches are filled across the Midwest and, and obviously down into Texas and Oklahoma and other places 
with people who make their living off the earth, so to speak, whether they're, you know, herdsmen or whether they're farming. Yes. And um, I would like to see, and I wonder if what the what the prevalence of faith is among those in those professions versus other professions, because I've always had this thought. My first call was in Minnesota, as is my current call. Mm-hmm. I, I was in Connecticut for a little while too, and it and it applies there a little bit, a little bit more different types of professions out there. But I hear a lot of these folks are farmers or they know farmers, and because of the necessity of relying. I mean, you can do all sorts of things. You can you can uh, uh, fertilize and use different techniques and all, uh, different equipment and all, different types of seeds and breeding and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're so reliant upon the Lord. It, it'd be difficult, I think, to walk away from that career and that experience thinking, yeah, there there isn't somebody at work, you know, blessing the rains and blessing the crops and, and, and you really get an appreciation for relying on God. And I just wonder, I wonder if the prevalence of faith is higher in those professions. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would, again, you know, living here with, with all the, the ranchers, I, I see it, you know, and, and not that they all come to Hosanna, but, but those who interact with, with our ranchers, I, I, you know, most of them are people of faith because they, they understand uh, that it is not them ultimately, you know, providing, uh, you know, all the, all that it takes to take care of their animals or livestock, the, the the crops, all of it. They they see that it is not in and of themselves. And and so I, again, I think it's such it's such beautiful language in in, in such a a beautiful way that James connects this, you know, across the ages, across cultures, you know, every culture, every culture, uh, you know, has, has farmers or ranchers of, of some kind. And so, uh, obviously this wasn't written, you know, in America for Americans, but yet we can sit here in 2022 and, and look at James chapter five or seven and eight and go, Oh yeah. Okay. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be, be patient. Be patient. The, the you know the early rain and, and the late rains, the, the latter rains. Um, I was reading uh, you know commentaries and, and getting prepared for, uh, uh, for for our conversation here. Uh, and, and this is uh, this is not like a spiritual latter rain sort of thing. This is literally agricultural. Uh, James is not you know is not talking hyperbole here about that the Holy Spirit is going to bless you know in some latter way. Pentecost has happened. This is literally about waiting, living each day. Uh, patiently as as the farmer still does in 2022 all across america uh you know waiting for that harvest in deuteronomy chapter 11 verses 13 and 15 moses writes and if you will indeed obey my commandments that i command you today to love the lord your god and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul he will give the rain for your land in its season the early rain and the later rain that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil, and he will give grass in your fields for your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. I always yeah. find it amusing that people think James is so law focused when he really is just quoting Jesus left and right, and he's yes. quoting Moses. And yes, that's law in terms of, you know, it gives us instruction on how to live, but behind it all is the reality that God is the one who takes care of us. And that's the greatest gospel because he's taking care of us ultimately through Jesus. Brother, we're actually up against a break. So let's take that break. And in just okay. a few minutes when we return, we'll continue our conversation. Listeners, don't go anywhere. It'll be just a few minutes. We'll both see you on the other side. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo, and with me today is the Reverend David Bass, pastor of Hosanna Lutheran Church in Kerrville, Texas. 
Uh, brother, before the break, we were talking about uh, was the farmer being, you know, elevated by James as this example of, of what it looks like to be patient in terms of farming. But then we connected that to the patience that we should have in terms of waiting for the Lord. And these folks were definitely in a situation, as we are today, as you've pointed out many times, in a position where it would do our hearts good to just chill, slow our roll, be patient, therefore, brothers, whatever you, <laughs> however you want to say it, yeah. and look to the Lord. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's gospel. That's not law. I mean, the Holy Spirit gets to use the words of the Bible however he pleases, but yes. I do believe that James intends that to be gospel, right? The coming of the Lord is at hand is good news. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we look at verse eight and, and that, that you also. So, uh, as we said, the opening is, is really, uh, a message to those who, who, you know, are, are pagans or are not really caring about how God wants them to live. Uh, but we as Christians understand that in, in the big scheme of, of God's picture. Verse eight, you also, now you Christians establish your hearts. Uh, what does it mean to, to establish? I mean, you know, when, uh, when you look at businesses and, and surely there are businesses in, uh, in your town as there are Kerrville established in, you know, 1998 or 1898 or however old, well, that, that, that starting point. Well, for, for us as Christians, uh, the Lord established our heart in the waters of our baptism. And so, we, we don't want to lose sight of that. We don't want to lose track of that. We want to be reminded always uh, to live every day, um, establishing our hearts, certainly through the word and prayer and worship and Holy Communion. Um, but always, always, uh, you know, I, I always remind my people, my, my task, my goal is certainly to, uh, to do the work of, of, of the pastor, the word and sacrament ministry, but ultimately to point you forward, point you forward to, uh, to that day when, when Christ returns, resurrection day, eternal life, the new creation. Uh, establish our, your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Uh, it's interesting that James, he said it's at hand. And, and so here we are in 2022 still saying, yes, this is still at hand. This, um, this coming of the Lord. And again, we see culture and society around us mocking Christianity saying, yeah, where, where's your God? Where, where's this Jesus? You know, oh, wasn't he supposed to come back? And then you have well-meaning, but misdirected Christians who try to set dates for the return of, of the Lord. Uh, but James just simply says, establish your heart, establish your heart, uh, because he will show up when, uh, when that day and time comes, but just know that he is the end of all things troubling and blessed here on earth, but that new creation is headed our way. You talk about setting dates and times. You know, it is a bit of a scandal in the technical sense that the Lord has not returned, right? Because the people of this time, of the first, uh, you know, early church of this first century, they truly believed that Christ would come back in their lifetime. And as time passed, Christians, I think, did become complacent about that, although the takeaway is that we should all be eager for Christ to come back in our lifetime for a couple of reasons. One, we hope the Lord comes back. That's our desire. Two, um, no matter what, you will meet Christ in your lifetime, whether you believe in him or not. And so even if he shouldn't return, you're going to meet him. You're going to go to him. Hopefully you go to him with that expectation that you're eager to see him. But although although Paul says it differently in different places, I really like what he says in Romans 13 because it's universally true. He says in verse 11, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. And that no matter what year it is, is always true. Each day that passes, the Lord is that much closer to coming, whether it's 10,000 years from now or 10 days from now or 10 minutes. And so, you know, Paul just says basically, you know, well, each minute that passes, we're closer than we were before. And, and that's, I think, how we should set our hearts. And you said well-meaning people are setting the dates and times, and that is the best construction on it. But it is so harmful to people, though. Absolutely. It is so harmful. Yeah. Well, it, it, it sets a, a false hope. Uh, 
um, because when that date invariably comes and goes, uh, uh, then that, that person's faith is, is either reduced or, or shattered completely. Uh, you know, well, I guess God's not coming back. Uh, no, there, there is no God. He doesn't care. Obviously he didn't show up on September 25th. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's not worth believing that he's ever going to return again. Um, but yeah, it's it, it, again it's such a beautiful. I, I think it it works really well uh, in in funeral sermons uh, to to remind people. Yes, our our loved one, you know, is is absent from the body, present with the Lord. But every day that they are absent in the body uh, is a day closer, you know, it, that we will see them again in the resurrection. That we will see the Lord. Uh, and, and so it's, it's almost like a different kind of countdown. Some people say, oh, it's been 20 years, you know, since, you know, my loved one, you know, was here with us. Uh, but as Christians, we could easily turn that around and, and say, uh, we're 20 years closer uh, to mm, seeing yeah. them again, 20 years closer to seeing Jesus uh, being present with him. And, and so this is what we establish our hearts in. Uh, we don't establish our hearts in, in, uh, in the riches that will rot in the garments that are moth eaten in the gold and silver that will corrode. But we establish our hearts as Christians, as believers, our hearts are established, not in the earthly things, but in the coming of the Lord. Yeah. And that is the hope of every Christian, the coming of the Lord. And now, he says here in 8, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord as a hand, and I believe that he intends for that to be gospel. But the second one, now I have to admit, I think mm -hmm. the tone has shifted a little bit because, uh, you know, James is not the best Lutheran in the world, so he's going to do a little <laughs> gospel and then law. So he says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So yeah. it's like saying... I know things are bad. Just be patient. The Lord is coming soon. But also, don't be a jerk because the Lord is coming soon. <laughs> and exactly. So I'm exactly. not sure uh, that Walter would like the arrangement, but I think Walter would appreciate the good distinction here between law and gospel. Y yes, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely uh, spot on. It's it's a healthy balance um, because we we don't want to fall off of, of of that horse on on one side or the right. other. Establish your hearts, but because his his coming seems to be delayed, that does not mean that you get to treat your your brothers and sisters in Christ as you know as, as a jerk, you know, yeah. and, and and be rude and and mean, especially especially. You know, if, if, uh, if, if we experience times of hardship or, you know, we, uh, we come across that either as a congregation or in our family or even as a nation, um, Christians, we, we are called to be that, that salt and that light in the world, not being the ones that grumble against each other and, and, and look really like the pagan world, you know, or well, I don't like you. So I'm just going to, you know, haul off and, and, you know, just treat you rude. You know, there's plenty of that in the world. We, we are called to, to, to be a, be set apart, to, to look different, live different, act different, be different uh, intentionally. So We talked uh, about it, people wanting to set dates for the coming of the Lord, and one thing we missed was the fact that by setting those dates, it gives a horrible witness to the world, or at the very least, gives them fodder for more attacks on us. And I said oh, it was definitely. very dangerous. But, you know, reading this from James and pondering it, I wonder what is more grievous to the reputation of the church? You know, the fact that a couple of people on the fringes are trying to set the date for the Lord to return, which we should all be eager for, mm -hmm. or is it Christians who are constantly bickering and fighting and, um, and not in unity, you know, brothers not dwelling in unity. Right. And I think that's given the church probably more of a black eye than anything else. Yes, I, I would I would say so. It's almost like the uh, you know the, these individuals who who set the dates. It, it's almost seen as like a like a sideshow. Like this isn't what the main you know body of Christian believers actually believes. But but certainly uh, you know we see the the the, the infighting in, in denominations and, and congregations. That is more of the uh, the day to day. You know what what people see. Maybe not nationally always. Uh, but we do see it, you know, when it hits the, the, the big media, you know, of, of, you know, mega church pastors falling from grace and, and congregations are scattered. And then the world goes, why bother being a Christian? You know, here, here they go again. Um, or they all yeah. have the same Bible, but why are they all so divided? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, uh, uh th this is a good word. This is, this is really, 
something that that we should read again and again and be reminded uh, as 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 believers you know don't don't hold the grudges don't 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 grumble don't do that it, it's not a faithful witness i don't care if you're in the biggest city in the country or if you're in a town of 400 uh you know the lord brings us together in community and and as christians uh we we are the called out ones each within our own unique communities and so we we always want to be setting that example now we obviously we don't do that perfectly um right. but that is that is and when we can speak of repentance and, and forgiveness and grace and all those good things. He uses then the prophets, but specifically Job as an example of steadfastness. Job's a tough act to follow, though, right? We know what he wants to be, Job. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, uh, it, it's, a, uh, it's a very tall order, you know, uh, the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord. And again, when we, when we do look at Job, it, it's not like Job was completely happy, you mm -hmm. know, with, with the whole situation. Um, but that's what, that's what James leans into here is, is the steadfastness, you know, right. again, that, that great, you know, funeral text that, that hopefully we use the old Testament reading Job 19, you know, though my skin has been destroyed and you know, all the stuff from, from James five, you know, one, two, and, and three here, though my skin has been destroyed yet in, in my flesh, in the resurrection, I will, I will see the Lord. And, and so uh, James goes, Hey, you know, Job had it right. And, and you can too. Uh, the Lord has his purposes. Maybe you don't always understand them, uh, but the Lord is, there's compassion. There's, there's mercy. Uh, and he is always seeking to reach out to us in his divine love, his divine mercy, his divine grace. He, he, his intent, God's intent is never to hurt us, to harm us, uh, but always to draw us closer to him. When we talk about the steadfastness of Job, you know, yes, he wasn't perfect. And there was the situation, this eventually where he comes to his wits ends and he, he demands God to make, you know, account for himself. <laughs> And God, that's when God famously, and I, it's one of my favorite passages. Uh, I think it was one of the first sermons I wrote on this, but he says, where were you when I created the foundations of the earth? And I love it because, yeah, you know, Job's yeah. getting a little bit of a lesson. Yeah. But here's, but here's the deal. Job's upset. He doesn't feel like it's fair what's happening to him. Mm -hmm. um, horrible things are happening to him and he does not deny God, but he goes to God. So yes. even though he was stepping over the line in terms of mm -hmm. his position as a creature, he still knew who was in charge. And so that's a steadfastness in and of itself. How often do we feel embarrassed to go to God and say, God, what the heck is happening? Well, we shouldn't be. It's not like we're questioning God in those moments, even if it may not be the most appropriate behavior, it's still right. a demonstration that our faith is in God. So when people have lost a loved one or a child or some terrible tragedy yes. has beset, I tell them, are you mad at God? And they're like, yeah, I'm mad at God. It's like, that's good. God's a yep. God's your father. He, he's okay with you being mad at him right now. You know, we don't want that forever, but, but, but God, God loves you. And he, it's, you know, and at the very least, it's better than someone saying, well, there must not be a God. And so that's a steadfastness of Job too, who underwent all this suffering. Oh, with, with without a doubt. I, again, that, that, uh, his, his life, that, that book is, is in our Holy scriptures for, for, you know the lord's purpose to to refine us to help us understand uh that his ways are not always our ways but yes that the end goal is that god loves us the lord has obviously become incarnate has taken all of that in his body that we would have uh again not not health and wealth and, and all wellness you know we'll become a christian and, and life is going to be fantastic and amazing but no through those trials and difficulties and and hardships and even uh, through death itself death will not end uh this eternal love uh, that that God has for you, and 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 again, I think that's ultimately why Job sees that he understands that he's not happy about it. If none of us would be, uh, but he refuses to curse God. He refuses, right. you know, to to go along, uh, you know, with with the ways of the world, with the ways of his friends, you know, his his own life. Curse God and die. It's like no, I'm I'm not going to. Um, and that's the cool part is for for job he gets to see the end result of that and maybe uh, there's a word of encouragement for christians who who maybe uh, live their life in suffering and, and maybe even their life ends uh, in suffering why didn't god heal you know my loved one why wasn't i healed well that ultimate healing comes and that final promise doesn't always look like job where he got to see it uh, 
but in the resurrection of the body and the life of the world to come. I uh, think this last verse of this section, verse 12, it seems to come out of nowhere. Um, I, I do believe it connects, yeah. but we have to look into it a little further. Um, it, I'll remind the listeners of what it is. It says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, uh, before I went to seminary, I was a private investigator doing insurance fraud investigations. Mm -hmm. And so I would have to appear. It wasn't actually court. It was uh, before the insurance commission, but it was like a court. You had a, a, an arbitrator or you, know, you had a judge mm -hmm. and you had defense attorneys and all this other kind of stuff. So I would get up there and you know, I was raised in the Southern Baptist tradition and, and in some of those traditions, especially down south, this is taken extremely uh, mm -hmm. first level reading, exactly what it says. Yes. So when I would, when they would present me with the Bible and they'd say, you know, you have to swear in, I would say, I affirm, as if using <laughs> a different word would somehow <laughs> fulfill this, you know, requirement right, not right, to right. swear. And they do permit you to do that because they recognize that that some Christians believe this way. But that's not exactly what's going on. Did you look into a, this verse a lot? Because it's something that I did, and it's it's interesting. I, I I did. I, I think it uh, it does seem to to come out of nowhere. But again, I, I think it also is built into the whole don't don't grumble against you know one another. Uh, let your word be your word. Be be a be a believer. You know. Again, no 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 funny business. Just speak what you're going to speak. You know. Don't have good character. Be uh, be a person of of Christian uh, integrity. Uh, be a person that you know, if you say Christ lives in you, then, then he does. Um, and, and live that out. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Uh, don't condemn yourself. Don't ultimately, don't become, uh, like those, you know, rich unbelievers, you know, pulling deals or, or, you know, doing unrighteous things towards others. Why? Because the judgment of Jesus is coming. Jesus is, is returning. So, and, and these are words of Jesus too, right? We see these in the sermon yeah. on the Mount. Jesus yes. says, I say to you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by yourself, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He basically says the same thing, or I should say, James is repeating mm -hmm. Jesus's teaching here. Yeah. But but that teaching isn't about like this blanket prohibition of ever swearing, um, as you say. It's about being honest. People would have people would make oaths, and we could get into we could do a whole hour mm -hmm. actually. From what I found, there were these different levels of oaths, yes. and you could swear on. And Jesus just throws out that whole hierarchy, and he basically says, whenever you're swearing, you're swearing on God because you carry the name of God. Right. And so right. if you plan on frivolously swearing mm. or, or, or being deceptive in your swearing, then you might as well just not. Instead, right. just be honest. Right. And, and I think the best correlation to today and we still see this and this is when i teach my confirmands this is the example i use because it's just so apropos they they, they swear to god or they swear on their mother's grave or they swear mm -hmm. on their uh, fathers don't usually get heightened up to that level of oaths but still <laughs> the point is they're being frivolous about yes it. and jesus and of course james here is just saying as you pointed out you know it don't don't resort to trying to bolster your word by swearing on God or anything else. Just be honest. Yes. Let, 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 the, let the, the truth of your, uh, the character of your trustworthiness be shown in just the fact that you're honest. Now, he doesn't prohibit that if then, say, the government asks you to swear uh, that you can't do that. Of course you can do that. That's the fourth commandment. Correct. Correct. And, and, and so, yes, we, I, I think it's important that, that we understand that distinction and, and, and not just lump all of that uh, together uh, to say, yes, if, if you're, if you're called on, on the witness stand uh, as a Christian, uh, that you take that oath seriously and then tell the truth, you know, uh, certainly in the hallways of, of a high school or junior high or, you know, confirmation class, wherever it might be, uh, understand the weight of, of those words that you're just kind of spouting out, you know, because it, um, I, I think it, it, it rests ultimately with, within your character again. And, and are we representing Christ, uh, in that instant, in that moment? Yes. On the witness stand, we would say, 
yes, I, I swear, so help me God, that he gives me the words to speak the truth of what I saw, heard, and, and understood. You know, in, in the lunchroom, though, well, I swear to God, I didn't take, you know, the lunch or, or whatever. Right. Uh, it's just, uh, it's, a, it's a character weakness. And, and so in a way, again, because the coming of the Lord is at hand, uh, James is saying, look, d don't live like this, like, like, like pagans, like non-believers who, who don't know the Lord. We do want them to, to come to the Lord, uh, to have their life be amended by, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but we know better, you know, not better in a moralistic way, but better because Christ has come and, and has shown us uh, he is our righteousness. And, and if we live in that righteousness, truly live, uh, then we take that seriously and, and we seek to live that out. There's eight more verses, and it's really important that we get to them because yes, they're really, really good. I'm going to read them. It's going to be verses 13 through the end of the chapter, end of the book, verse 20. Is anyone of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. We don't have enough time to talk about every part of it. We could spend sure. an hour on it alone. Absolutely. Let's, get, let's hit the key points. Gosh, uh, prayer, <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the suffering person, uh, again, instead of complaining and being bitter, uh, pray, 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 pray. It's it, again, I think it's, it's, uh, it's an underutilized gift, uh, with, within the church and, and maybe within even, uh, you know, our lives, we, we get so busy and, and we, we preach on it, but it's like, man, prayer, prayer is so important, whether you're suffering or whether you're cheerful pray and certainly call upon uh, call upon those who have been raised up in the church uh, let them call you know on, on the elders um, oil in the name of the Lord I, I think that again that's just so uh, so beautiful uh, you know anointing anointing in the name of our Lord in the name of the Father Son Holy Spirit trusting that God is going to do uh, what God does best now in um, those cases we should point out that uh, elders would be the presbyters. Yes. So this would be um, leaders, essentially pastors mm -hmm. in the church. When the when the New Testament talks of elders, it's not talking about the elders in the way we talk about them. Um, yeah. Really, there is no biblical equivalent to the elders as the LCMS uses them. Maybe pseudo deacons, kind of. Kind but, of. But um, in this case, we have elders who are the pastors. So it's it's been going on since the foundation mm -hmm. of the church for you to call the pastor when you're sick, right? And and yes. he'll come. And some pastors still use anointing oil. I do, uh, not in every case, but I do. Sure. But that oil, of course, is only representative of our baptisms, and so it's it's a it's a good practice. I will throw in a plug for pastors everywhere, though. Uh, your pastor, despite his call, cannot read minds, though. So, dear <laughs> listeners, please call your pastor. He wants to know. He just can't know unless you tell him. So. Be sure to tell your pastor if you want to visit or if something's going on. He doesn't always know. It is a good word. Uh, yeah, I, I love, I love the. Uh, I think there's, there's a, uh, the physicality just as in the waters of, of baptism, and, and no, the oil does not save us. It, you know, it doesn't, you know, have those kinds of powers. But again, it, it uh, it's just such a, a beautiful connection that that God, he. He is tangible. Taste and see that the Lord's good. No, you know, he has given us all of our senses. And, and sometimes that oil is is fragrant, just as incense is in, in worship. Mm -hmm. It's just such a, a long after the pastor, you know, you know, moves on to the to the next, you know, hospital room or, or the next thing that he has to do. That scent lingers with that person and then they can be reminded, uh, you know, the, the prayers of, of that righteous person praying for them and and just asking the Lord to, to heal them. If, if that be his, his word and his will, uh, then the Lord will definitely do that. It's interesting. Um, 
in in the study that I did for, for this text uh, that somehow uh, the Roman Church ha has taken this captive and has uh, mutated this uh, into extreme unction, and that's not right. what what James is talking about here. We're not doing this to prepare people for death. Uh, this is this is intended for healing. This is intended for for restoration, uh, if that be uh, God's will. If you don't have the smell of incense in your worship service, it's hard to connect the smell of the oil to prayer. And if you don't yeah. use oil in the baptism, it's hard to connect that to baptism. Sure. So, um, you know, I guess there's two minds of it. One would say, well, we just won't use oil since people don't make those connections. And then I'm more of the mind of, well, why don't we restore all of these things? Because these aren't uh, too Catholic in quotes, as some people like to say. These were sure. practices of the earliest Christians, the brother yes. of Jesus. Yes, ab absolutely. Um, but, but to, to, to just not, not mix up the, uh, the two to, to say this is somehow becoming a sacrament. Uh, this is not a, a sacrament. You know, when, when the elders of the church, when the pastor comes to, to anoint you with the oil, um, the prayers of the righteous person are, are powerful and effective. It's, it's not the oil that's doing anything for you. It's a, it's a physical reminder of all these gifts of grace. And then 16 is important. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Um, another interesting one, because uh, in the Lutheran Church, the pastor has this public vocation of forgiving the sins of those who come to him. It's a, a office of the keys, right? An ancient yes. sacrament. Yes. But, you know, it, it. people go, well, only God can forgive sins. Well, that's true. Ultimately, the forgiveness comes from God. But here in 16, it's not just even your pastor. You're to be confessing your sins to one another. And you may disagree, but I don't think this means just the sins you've committed against one another. I think this is what it looks like to live in a Christian community of mature believers, going to one another with help with any sin you may be facing. In in looking at these verses and, and certainly the, the context of James 5 and, and the context of James' entire letter, uh, yeah, I, I would say that that's absolutely accurate. Because again, he, he's writing to Christians who are in community, they're, they're suffering and struggling in community. Uh, but what makes those bonds of, of Christian faith grow stronger is is when we have that uh, that trust in, in one another to know uh, that we can share that in, in hopefully full faith and confidence uh, to pray for one another. Why? Well, so that there may be healing, uh, not just physical healing, but definitely spiritual healing, right? No, no doubt. Uh, you've heard it many times in, in your ministry, you know, after, after you do maybe private confession or absolution, uh, it feels like a, like a weight has been lifted off of me. Of course. Yeah, the weight has been lifted spiritually because that confession has happened and that word of absolution has has been spoken to you. Uh, healing, spiritual healing is taking place. Now, I don't want to neglect the uh, story of Elijah here, but we're going to have to. We only have a few minutes left in the program, and I want to get 19 and 20. Uh, let's, yes. let's make sure those are the last uh, verses that we talk about very briefly before we end the program, if you could. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so if, if, uh, if anyone wanders from, uh, the truth and someone brings him back, let him know uh, that whoever brings back a sinner will save a soul from it. We're not saving, uh, these people, uh, but it is God's work through us, right? Uh, so with, with confession and, and absolution, uh, with reminding, and maybe it's, uh, you know, so, someone who, who has just found themselves in the weeds of their faith. But we're able to, uh, to 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 bring them back, so to speak, through through our words, through our prayers, through our encouragement. Uh, my goodness, you're not doing that just for a moment of their life. But James is opening that up. Uh, th this changes their eternity. This changes their 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 soul is saved from death. Uh, yes, uh, it, it covers a multitude of sins. The the blood of Christ has done that. Uh, but again, I. It, it, and I look at this, and, and it seems somehow that, that maybe we haven't been the best at, at actually living this out in the church. You know, it, it seems to be sometimes that if someone wanders from the truth, it's like we point fingers and go, oh, man, I, I'm glad I didn't do that, rather than going after them. Uh, you know, here James is saying, you know, look. Look after one another in Christian community. Uh, confess those sins and, and have those sins uh, be forgiven. But we should always be reminding each other. That's that's why we we gather for corporate worship. Uh, 
uh, we gather week after week, uh, not simply to hear Pastor Dave, you know, you're not here to hear me. Yes, I'm going to bring you uh, the word of the Lord, but we are also there for each other. And, and so uh, listeners, it's an encouragement. Go to church. Go to church. It's an encouragement to the brothers and sisters in your congregation, in your small group. Um, maybe someone uh, has wandered and maybe you are that very person that the Lord is going to use to bring them back into the fold to say, hey, can we talk about whatever it is that happened? Um, the Lord still loves you. We still love you. And, and we need to apologize. Maybe we haven't shown that to you all the time. But know that his love is for you uh, and your sins, whatever they are, the blood of Christ covers that. Return to the Lord. Return to him a good word for us to end on. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend David Bass, pastor of Hosanna Lutheran Church in Kerrville, Texas. Thank you, pastor, for being on the show. Tomorrow, we are done. So we are moving into a very new book, and that is the book of Exodus. This series will take us through the middle of January, so be sure to get in early. Uh, until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.